0: Welcome to the Superhero of Love podcast. I am Bridget Fonger. I wrote a book called Superhero of Love Heal Your Broken Heart and Then Go Save the World. That book is going to be out in January 2019, but I didn't want to wait until that time to start talking to superheroes of love. And guess what? Here's the news you are a superhero of love, and through talking to other superheroes like yourself, tapping into that little superhero inside of you. I'm hoping that you and I and all of us start feeling more and more like superheroes of love, meaning that we love and are loved more than ever before. So welcome. Let's get this party started. All right, so we are here today with... With Melissa Fitzgerald. Melissa is actually sitting in her home in Washington, D.C., and I'm sitting in my home in Los Angeles. I just feel so lucky to be joined together today with Melissa because she is doing extraordinary work in this world, helping millions of people hold their hearts and heal their hearts and she is a true superhero of love. We're here today to talk to her about all the extraordinary work that she's doing for those who are at that exquisite intersection of substance abuse, mental health, and the justice system. In other words, anyone who is dealing with mental health issues, substance abuse issues, and or the justice system, she is working at that intersection, which normally isn't perceived as one that is beautifully heart-holding. But indeed, Melissa is bringing her heart to this, and I'm putting in air quotes, this industry, that special intersection she is bringing her enormous heart to this world. And thank you, Melissa, for joining us today. Oh,
1: thank you so much, Bridget. And thank you for that lovely introduction.
0: Absolutely. Now let me let them hear the little magic of how we met. So we Mm -hmm. met at, (laughs) we met thanks to Marianne Williamson, who brought us into the room that was known as the Sister Giant Conference in 2012 in Los Angeles. Melissa at that time lived in Los Angeles and was an actress. You know Melissa because she was for seven years on one of my very, very favorite TV shows, (laughs) West Wing. She played Carol. She was a very successful actress. And after the Sister Giant Conference, I think a lot of lives were changed. There were a few magical moments at this conference. First, I'll never forget, um, meeting Melissa and sitting next to her and um, having many wonderful conversations, including about my book, which is coming out in January finally, but I was in the midst of writing the first draft of my book when I met Melissa. And we had some lovely conversations about that. But the most important moment that I will never, ever forget, not that I'll forget the other moments either, <laughs> is at the toward the end of the conference, Marianne asked, if anyone in the audience had been inspired by the conference to actually run for office one day, And she asked those people to come and get up on the stage. And Melissa hesitated for maybe just a nanosecond. And in that nanosecond of hesitation, I spurred her on and encouraged her to get herself up onto that stage. So she is not running for office now and she hasn't run for office yet, but I suspect that she will one day. I pray (laughs) that she will one day. But she... Already on our nation's stage, changing this nation. And how she is doing that is she works at the the NADCP, and which I'm gonna let you to tell them what the NADCP is. Sure. (laughs) Well, and thank you for that introduction too. And and
1: just while you were talking, I was thinking about that and remembering that day, and, and thinking about sort of my journey through that as well, and after that, and you know, I do, I think life is long and nothing is ever off the table, um, which is something really exciting about life is that nothing's off the table. (laughs) But but also, and also, I feel that we each have gifts and they can be used to be of service um, in many different ways. And I feel like what I'm doing now is what I'm supposed to be doing now. And it was interesting. It just, when you were speaking, I remember when I was talking with the former CEO of NADCP, National Association of Drug Court Professionals, um, right before um, I, I, we—if I was going to be the right person to take on this position—and and he was telling me all the things that were going to be challenging about it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> move here, It's going to be—you know—it's a nonprofit; it's not a lot of money. Blah, blah, blah. And um, and he and I said, "Well, I I want to do it." And. He, And I said, I'm not going to negotiate anything. I just want to do it. And he said, Why? And I said, Because it makes my heart sing. Oh. And I I,
0: beautiful.
1: And I I haven't thought about that actually in a really long time until you were speaking. But I do think that's how I make most of my decisions, whether that's the
0: right thing or the wrong thing. Oh beautiful. I do too. And speaking of that, tell us. What brought you to the National Association of Drug Court Professionals? Tell us this. We we need to hear, obviously, about the, I did not know, previous to knowing you, I did not know about the NADCP, nor did I know about these two different divisions of NADCP, both of which you've worked for, one being Justice for Vets, and I definitely want us to talk about the Vets, and then the new division, Advancing Justice, which we'll also talk about. But please tell me what... Tell us about that path that led you from Hollywood to Washington to work at NADCP. Sure. Well, I'll just give
1: a little background on NADCP and the work that we do, and we can get more detailed into that in a little while. But um, NADCP, as I mentioned, is National Association of Drug Court Professionals. And drug courts are treatment courts. So people who come into contact with the criminal justice system, uh, who have a substance use disorder, a mental health condition... Trauma, um, treatment courts provide treatment through a court program rather than incarceration. So it is, you know, instead of incarcerating them and putting them or putting them on probation, treatment courts hold them accountable through a combination of supervision, structure and treatment. And, um, you know, I'm happy to get into that more later, but just to give you a little bit of my background, my father is a judge and has been in criminal justice my entire life. He was a district attorney, a prosecutor for most of my childhood, and he has been a judge for most of my adult years. And um, he was one of the people who launched a mental health court, which is also a treatment court in Philadelphia many years ago, back when that was a heavy lift, when um, people didn't feel that people who were dealing with mental health disorders could actually get better. And, um, and mental health courts and, and all kinds of treatment courts have proven that that's not the case, that people can, given the right structure, supervision, and treatment, um Remain in our communities and live productive lives and be contributing members of our communities. Um, so that that's something that I just was in my background. And then when I was on the West Wing, Martin Sheen has been a drug court champion since the early days. And the very first drug treatment court was launched in, uh, gosh, over 30 years ago, I uh, think in 1989, um, in Miami Dade. And it was in response to the increase in cocaine in Miami and and people dealing with substance use disorders that were getting arrested and entering in the justice system. And this was a better way. And so Martin saw that, and he is a courageous uh, activist and a social justice activist. And he saw this as a social justice movement, and he jumped in and was a true champion and and has continued his support to this day and he's on many ways a true inspiration to me and obviously so many other people and then i lost a very dear friend to addiction and then in 2011 martin said would you come and speak at the national association of drug court professionals national conference in washington dc hmm. now at that time i hadn't really known the name of the organization so i went back to my dad. And I said, well, what do you think? And he, my dad looked at me like, he said, Melissa, anyone who knows anything about treatment courts is for them. For them, because they work.
0: Wow. Beautiful. What a testament.
1: And he was very supportive of me going and excited that I was going. He had many friends that were there. And when I arrived at the conference here in DC, thousands of people there (laughs) were. And it was exciting to see that this is a real movement and um, in, in our country to have justice truly be dr- just for everyone and um, and something that works you know and I think the other thing that that is important to mention and I'll probably mention it a hundred times during this conversation. Treatment it works yeah that they work but they they also work by you know returning healthy citizens to our communities. They work by restoring families. They work by saving taxpayer dollars, tremendous amounts of taxpayer dollars. And they work by reducing crime. So they they work on every level.
0: You know, I want to I interrupt you and ask you, please tell the story of Texas. I wouldn't have expected Texas to be on the forefront of this, and I'm so excited that they were. And please tell us about how Texas really took this on. It's such a great story. Texas,
1: and, and there are several states that it's just interesting, but Texas, obviously not known for being soft on crime, was, and I think it was in 2007, was facing um, increased need for more, for more beds in their jails and prisons over. Seventeen thousand new beds because they were um, rests, and I think the other thing that that's important to set the stage for this is that in in our country, in the land of the free, we incarcerate more of our people than any other nation in the world. And Texas,
0: I just want to was- give a shout out in that moment to um, Marianne Williamson, and if anybody is, is is heart just leapt at that fact, um, Marianne is at the forefront of of working on that, on making a change in that world. And that was one of the topics of the sister giant that we attended and it's at yeah. the forefront of her passion. So if any anybody- certainly,
1: this treatment courts are a way to address that because treatment courts divert people from jails and prisons and get them into treatment programs through the court, which I can talk a little bit more about, but if, you know, I can also talk about Texas right now. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Texas was facing this need to, and, and at the cost of, a tremendous amount of money to the taxpayer at that time. Instead of investing that money into building more prisons, Texas decided to invest in criminal justice reform, including a big investment into treatment courts. And so in, I think it was 2007, between 2007 and 2015, the number of treatment courts increased from approximately nine to about almost 150 treatment courts, and the results were incredible. Texas saw a reduction in crime down to a rate that had not be had not been seen in Texas since 1968. So crime went <laughs> down. So Taxpayers saved billions with a B, billions of dollars, and Texas actually closed three prisons. It's just extraordinary. And the other thing to remember is that the people, they were able then to focus on people who were committing violent crimes and making sure that they were the ones who were incarcerated and that people who were not a risk to the community we're getting treatment so that they could
0: contribute to the community in a healthy way. Speaking of contributing to the community in a healthy way, um, <laughs> I, we no. I just want to, I want to veer us toward, cause I know that the first division that you worked for at NADCP was justice for vets. And I really want to talk, I really want people to hear about um, about what you guys are, what justice for jets, excuse me, justice for vets is doing for, for vets, um, and then we'll talk about advancing justice, which is what you're working sure. for now. But this, I think that everyone in our country wants to, if they could reach out and hold the heart of a vet. Like if we could all buddy up with one vet, I, if, you know, maybe that's a future program. But if, I mean, we could, we all wish to hold the hearts of our vets. And Justice for Vets, even though it doesn't have heart in the title, has a lot of heart in it. And please tell them how you are working with vets who are coming back with PTSD and substance abuse issues, et cetera.
1: And to me, actually, justice is heart. Mm, that's that great. There's a lot of heart in that word to me. That's beautiful. Um, and I think when you are serving justice, you are serving families, you are serving individuals, and you're serving our nation, and you're doing what's right for people and allowing them to be their highest and best and giving oh. them that they need to be their highest and best. And I think something about our veterans that I've certainly seen, and I think most of us can see, is that most, the majority of our veterans are returning home, and they are strengthened by their military service, and they are civic assets, and they are leaders in our communities, but everybody's path to returning home is not the same, and some are struggling. And when they do, I think it's important for us to be there for them and for their families with programs that work and programs like justice for vets. So when a veteran returns home and is struggling and, uh, with a substance use disorder, a mental health condition, trauma like PTSD, and then experiencing sort of the loss of structure, and, and, and that can exacerbate the situation. So they're dealing with a loss of structure, camaraderie that's found in the military. Veterans treatment courts provide treatment accountability, and mentoring. And then they also help connect justice-involved veterans with the benefits that they've earned. And again, saving lives, families, and also the futures of our veterans. You know, veterans treatment courts are based on the drug court, drug treatment court model. Um, and I think that's another thing that, that speaks to the success of drug treatment courts is to see how that model has been adapted to, to apply to specific communities like, like the veteran community. I guess the best way to describe a veterans treatment court might be the origin story of it, which is Judge Robert Russell in Buffalo, who is a drug court and a veterans treatment court judge, saw more veterans returning to in, in those two Two programs who were not responding as he thought that they could and should. And there was one man in particular who was in his mental health court program who was not meeting the markers of the programs. And these programs, by the way, are incredibly rigorous. Mm. There is frequent and random drug and alcohol testing in the first phase of these programs. They often, they uh, appear before the judge and the interdisciplinary court team weekly. And then as they phase down, that becomes every other week and then twice a month and then once a month. And the programs often last on average, obviously it's and these are individualized programs, but uh, 18 months. So these are rigorous programs, um, so this one particular Vietnam era veteran was disheveled. He wasn't looking judge Russell in the eye. He wasn't meeting the markers that he needed to meet in the program. And judge Russell said to him, I uh, happened to have two veterans on his court staff. So he said to them, can you go out in the hall and speak to him and find out veteran to veteran what's going on. Mm. And about an hour later, this gentleman returned to the courtroom, stood in front of Judge Russell, stood at parade rest, looked Judge Russell right in the eye,
0: oh, and Judge Russell beautiful. said to him, <laughs> That's "So beautiful. I'm totally crying here. That's
1: so gorgeous. <laughs> oh my god!" And um, Judge Russell said, "Are you fi- are you ready to accept the help that this court is offering to you?" And he said, "Sir, yes, sir." And he completed the program, and that was the birth of Veterans Treatment Courts. Judge Russell Venn, who is a brilliant and wise man, invited um, the VA into to work with him. So there's a Veterans Justice Outreach Program at the VA. So there's a Veterans Justice Outreach Specialist in the Veterans Treatment Court programs around the country mm-hmm. and invited other veteran service organizations from the community to participate and to really remove obstacles to the veterans' success in these programs. Because, of course, in addition to, to getting into recovery, you have to deal with issues like housing and employment, relationships, in addition to dealing with if there's a substance use disorder and the mental health condition. Um, those other pieces need to be in place. And um, veterans' treatment courts really are a one-stop shop for mm-hmm. veterans. I think I'd mentioned to you that in in one of the courts, and I know this is replicated in other areas of the country, but there was a GED class offered in the courthouse, and that was free to any veteran who was participating in the program or any of their family members to go and get a GED if that hadn't happened already. So there are just a lot of different different ways, and in addition to the interdisciplinary court team, which which I didn't talk about before, but that exists in drug treatment courts, DWI courts, which are also uh, based on the drug treatment court model, and veterans treatment courts, the judge leads the team, but the team has a representative, a DA, assistant DA on the team. There's defense counsel as part of this team, um, there's a treatment provider because that's critical. They're mm-hmm. trained treatment providers part of the team. There's probation, parole is represented, and then a veteran mentor, who a volunteer from the veteran com- from the community um, volunteers to serve as a mentor to their brothers and sisters who are going through these programs. But the interdisciplinary court team meets before every single. Uh, Veterans Treatment Court Session or Drug Treatment Court Session or DWI Treatment Court Session. And they talk about each individual case and they make recommendations to the judge. So these are very specialized, very individualized treatment programs. So it's not one size fits all. And that's one of the reasons they're so successful.
0: For any vets who are listening right now, and they heard the word volunteer, are there opportunities for vets to volunteer in these courts?
1: Find out if there's a Veterans Treatment Court in your community. And um, I think we actually have a map on our website, justiceforvets.org. You can uh, contact your local Veterans Treatment Court and, and say that you're interested in volunteering as, as a volunteer veteran mentor, or to provide something else for the Veterans Treatment Court that they may need. Because I think something that's important is that these are community solutions
0: mm-hmm.
1: to a national problem, but they're community solutions. So they, some veterans, and also Drug Treatment Court uh, participants, perhaps they don't have a car. They mm-hmm. don't have transportation. So if you can donate a bus pass, for them to get to the court.
0: Oh, that's that can, great.
1: That can be tremendously helpful right. or a gas card or a, 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 a gift certificate to the grocery store, things that can really help. And also, if you're a volunteer veteran mentor, you may, you may be trained by us, hopefully, by Justice for Vets, hopefully, um, to take advantage of the resources that are available in the community. Um, and, and we you know, have a whole training program that, that uh, we call it a boot camp, a veteran, volunteer veteran mentor boot camp that will teach volunteer veteran mentors
0: how to access
1: and where to access community resources.
0: For the benefit
1: of the participant.
0: So beautiful. And I I don't think there's a single one of us that isn't worried about our vets and hearing that there is something happening out there that is actually, you're getting real honest to God results is extraordinary. And And, and
1: they are. I mean, statistically, the treatment courts are enormously successful um, and um, approximately 75% of participants are not rearrested. And that's that's a remarkable... Uh, Does no, anybody,
0: no, nobody else has those stats, do they? I mean, that's extraordinary.
1: Not that I know of. They're, yeah. they're, they're incredibly successful programs. And, um, and by successful, I mean people's lives are being saved. And they're going back to their families. And they are being parents. They are being good neighbors. They are are being part of our community. And I think that, that we can't I don't think you can overstate the importance of that. And when you think about our veterans, and, and I've spent Advancing Justice as a, a relatively new initiative at NADCP, so the majority of the past um, almost five years now that I've been there has been in veterans treatment courts, and I've traveled around the country, and I have met so many participants and their families and the volunteer veteran mentors and the, the men and women who work in these treatment courts as judges and, and court staff and court coordinators and treatment providers and it is so inspiring and you really see that the participants are such vital members of our communities that the loss of them is really felt in the community mm-hmm. um, so getting them back and and so many of our veterans they have honor senses of honor duty leadership
0: respect qualities that we need
1: mm-hmm. in our communities
0: Thank you for telling us how we can reach out to our local treatment court and make a difference there. I don't know about the funding. How Do we have to vote for the right people also, or is yeah, this and is let, generally... Let, let,
1: we enjoy bipartisan support, which is wonderful for, for treatment courts overall, including veterans treatment courts, of course. So that is a really wonderful thing. But I, I would say if you want to support veterans treatment courts and treatment courts overall, contact your elected officials at the local state, and federal level and let them know that you support veterans treatment courts. Find out if there's a treatment court or, or, and drug courts, find out if there's a treatment court in your community and see how you can support. Um, also follow us on social media. And cause if you know, and, and, and there are so many inspiring personal stories and I would like to share the story of, of, of someone who's really inspired me to do this work, but there are a lot of, just heartening stories, and I think that there are so many things that we see that are need to be fixed, and there are so many problems, and sometimes that can feel overwhelming. What's really wonderful about getting to do the work that I do is that every single day, I hear stories about people whose lives have been saved because of these courts, and we, um, treatment courts, serve upwards of 150,000 people a year. Wow. We have treatment than any other intervention america if you'd like to hear more about this and and we will also post on social media opportunities to contact your elected officials and that's on our website too it'll help you do that but um, we are we have a couple ones you can follow you can follow um nadcp at all rise at all rise and then you can follow justice for vets at justice for the number four vets Justice for Number Four Vets, um, and that's on Twitter. And then we also have Facebook. Um, and the the number four is only for
0: the Twitter. Okay. And for
1: the website is Justice for F O R.
0: You were about to tell us a story that inspired you that brings you forward. I'm dying to hear that story.
1: <laughs> yeah, when I got involved and came in 2011 to speak at National Association of Drug group Professionals National Conference Training Conference, I got involved in the organization overall and they had recently launched Justice for Vets. So Justice for Vets is new it really you know as I mentioned 2008 um, which is relatively new and and really grown tremendously in in that during that time. I became a supporter and and kept up with what they were doing and I also was producing, I was co-executive producing a documentary uh, profiling several returning veterans who were struggling with the transition home and we're self-medicating, and it's called Halfway Home, and they were, they called to say, hey, we're having the first ever Veterans Treatment Court, National Veterans Treatment Court Conference in, you know, this this fall in November, and and that was 2013 at the time, and I said, oh, my film is done. Um, I'm sure that I'll talk to the the other producers and see if we can give you that film to screen at your conference if you'd like it. And so I sent a link to the CEO and he called back a couple of days later, said, we'd love to screen it. And I said, great. I can probably get a participant to come and the director and I'll come. We could do a panel if you'd like. And he said, great. And then as almost an aside, he said, um, Oh, by the way, we're looking for a new senior director of justice for vets. So if you know anybody, <laughs> and I said, and I don't know, I was really, was in Los Angeles and I was uh, in my, I was actually sitting on my bed because I remember it very vividly. <laughs> I said, um, which is exactly what I'm doing now. of <laughs> <said>, stories. <laughs> if I were a veteran, I would throw my hat in the ring. This oh. is such an important issue. And this is a moment where we need to decide as a nation how we are going to respect and support our veterans who are struggling. Oh. Oh. And we ended the conversation and I was going to go think about who I knew, uh, you know, who could do it. And again, about two days later, <laughs> the CEO called back and said, Hey, when you, <laughs> were you serious? And I said, yes, I was. Without thinking, I just said, yes, I was. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, well, when can you start? Oh, my
0: God. <laughs> That's incredible. Because he had gone
1: off and, and, you know, talked to the people he needed to talk to at that point and done his homework on me, I guess. And and uh, and then I said, well, it was October, I think. And he, I, I said, well, how about January? Because that would give me enough time to close up my life in LA for a little bit. And then also to educate myself more about the courts and visit courts all over. And I said, how about January? And he said, how about Monday?
0: Oh my God.
1: And I said, how about January? And he said, how about Monday?
0: Oh my God. <laughs> said, said, <laughs> oh my God. So that's what happened. <laughs> wow. He won. <laughs> he won. Of course he
1: won. Oh my God. But at that same time, one of the men that we profiled in Halfway Home, an incredible man who is a a real inspiration and has become a dear, dear friend. Um, He was, he's a Silver Star recipient. And he was, when you read the accounts of, of what he did in battle, it's pretty remarkable. He you know, in Afghanistan, he used his body as a human shield to protect his men. Mm. He suffered, I think it was 11 shrapnel wounds, had a very long physical recovery, and um, was struggling with PTSD and self-medicating and, and, you know, depression. And he was acknowledged by President Bush in the State of the Union address that year, And he received a several minute standing ovation and the entire time he was in pain inside and, and, and struggling. Even after very bravely and openly sharing his struggles in our film, he um, left a note for his children. And after a night of heavy drinking and pills, made a decision to drive, end his life, and drive his truck into a tree. And remarkably, he survived, and he was facing charges. And it was the exact same time that this opportunity with Justice for Vets, that whole conversation was happening with our CEO. And I called him, I called Tommy, and I said, do you think I'm the right person for this job? Cause this is too important. And if you don't think so, then let's find somebody together. And he said, Melissa, I'm going to jail. Oh. I'm going to jail because there is no veterans treatment court in North Carolina. And yeah, you have to do this job and I'm going to help you however I can because it's too late for me, but it is not too late for my brothers and sisters. And I want to make sure that no other veteran has to go through this. So cut to a couple, I guess maybe a month later he was able to attend the national conference, the Veterans Treatment Court National Conference. And we screened the documentary. He was on the panel and he knew he was facing charges. So he talked about that openly. North Carolina was going to open a Veterans Treatment Court very soon after that. The court coordinator was attending the conference to get training on how to start the veterans treatment court. Cause that's what we do as an organization. We do all the training and technical assistance for the courts and the court staff and teams. Mm-hmm. And he was there in the audience and he went up to Tommy after the screening and after the panel. And he said, we're going to open a veterans treatment court, the first one in North Carolina, and it's two and a half hours from where you live. But if we can get your charges transferred to the County where the court's going to be, are you willing and able to drive two and a half hours each way weekly to appear in front of the judge? And he said, yes, I am. And about a year later, I was able to attend Tommy's graduation from that veterans treatment court. Oh my God. Tommy has become an enormous advocate, like a huge advocate for veterans treatment courts. And he is, you know, I can't imagine not having my life with him in it. And that's what would have happened. He is a father. He is an um, uh, an incredible father. He is um, a leader in his community. He inspires other veterans. He inspires other community members. He's a wonderful friend. He's a great son. That's a huge loss Mm -hmm. to have Tommy behind bars. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's smart. And it doesn't have to be
0: that way. Mm -hmm because treatment courts work. Wow. And he didn't go to court. I mean, he didn't go to jail, right? So No, he, he went to the Veterans Treatment yep, Court program instead. Yep. Yep. Winning. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of winning and him being a father... I really want you to tell us now about advancing justice and the work that you are doing. I know that the ADCP in general As you've said repeatedly, is working (laughs) children and families. No, I didn't mean that in a derogatory way. I'm glad you're saying it because it's important. (laughs) I did not know any of this. I did not know, so I need you to talk now about advancing justice and the work that you're doing specifically with children and families. There, absolutely. I do
1: want to say one thing before you do that, because when you said that you
0: don't know, most people don't
1: know, and I think that's what's so exciting about this working in this field is that I get to share it with so many people who didn't know. And I think we all know that there are a lot of problems in our justice system that need to be addressed. There are also a few bright spots, and this is one of them. Yeah. Um, so drug courts have been around since 1989. Mm-hmm. So they've been around for a while. They're expanding because they're working so well. And I would like to see them as we all would at NADCP. We'd like to see them reaching every single person in need. So we need to expand them even further. So 150,000 people year is a big number. It needs to be even bigger. I do encourage people to go to our website and go follow us on social media and support us when we, we send out, you know, alerts for things that, that we could use support on mm-hmm. um, and, and call your elected officials. But one of the things that we did, um, at NADCP a little over a year ago was launched an initiative called Advancing Justice. So for more than 20 years, NADCP has had experience leading treatment court building, implementing evidence-based research-driven interventions for people with substance use and mental health disorders. And we have a membership slash constituency of well over 30,000 justice and treatment professionals that represent every intercept point in the justice system. Like every point at which somebody interacts with the justice system, we have people that are working in those entry point, in those points. So from like the minute somebody is arrested, that interaction from law enforcement to all the way through the justice system, whether it's a diversion court and a court program or it's you know jail, prison, to re-entry into society. So that's our membership. So we have a real opportunity to expand the scope of our work and harness the expertise and experience of this sort of unparalleled membership base. As the only organization in the country with such a broad membership, with such a a strong reach and demonstrated expertise, it makes us uniquely suited to identify, develop, disseminate, these research driven, promising programs addressing the most important issues facing our justice system. For example, we just did a, a, a journal on racial and ethnic disparities. Hmm. And gender disparities in the justice system. And our very first partnership is with Sesame Street, and it's called Sesame Street in Communities. And that's another incredible resource. Um, It's designed around childhood resilience, and they have all a, a really wide and very, and it just deeply professional and, and powerful uh, toolkits on a whole bunch of different areas, but the ones that we're working most closely with, obviously, are children of incarcerated parents. um, There's one on trauma, on addiction. um, There's domestic violence. There are a lot of different toolkits, and anybody can access them. It's Sesame Street in Communities, and we are incorporating some of those toolkits and their techniques into our training, and we've We're piloting it right now into our, we have some mentor courts, which are the courts that serve as training courts, and we are implementing those now, and we're seeing already how that's having an impact. So these are, what happens is we're training our professionals to work with the people that come into the justice system, like our participants who've been arrested, who are dealing with these issues, and teaching them how to work with their children so their children are resilient through this process. Because I think the sad truth is that so many, many of our p- participants have families and often young children who can be collateral damage in this. Mm-hmm. And this helps them get the support that they need. And also uh, sort of, um, I, you know I went to to a couple of these trainings, just sat in on them, and I was seeing... These are great for any adult to have because a lot of people
0: oh, you know. have kids, and I was thinking it would be even good for me. Resilience is a yeah, they're
1: helpful for us, yeah. And so many of us, and you know, and especially people who are struggling, maybe didn't get that themselves when they were children. Mm-hmm. And this is an opportunity not only for them to to help themselves, but for them to provide that for their children. And if you think about that, that that has a lot of you know a, a lot of positive like wide reading reaching positive um implications and um it also gives an opportunity for setting up a sesame safe space and sesame friendly space in in the courthouse someone said to me um who was in our membership and at our conference who went to the the presentation of sesame street and communities and and she said oh i'm I'm setting it up in our courthouse she said because we don't We don't have any space for the kids that come in here Hmm. and we'll set up a space for them. And it's easy to do. You can do it, download things from the website and um, I encourage people to do that, but that's exciting. And those are the kinds of things that I'm going to get to do and I'm, I'm doing already with advancing justice.
0: Is, is that something that the court has to initiate? I was just thinking, wow, what a fun offering um, to bring everything that's needed for a Sesame safe space in a courtroom. Is that 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 what
1: they're doing? Yeah. Some of them are doing it or in the courthouse, you know? um, Yeah. But yeah, that's what they're doing. And then a lot of something that also happens, which has been incredible. Some of the, many of the graduates end up working in the treatment field, recovery field, and they have sort of one, one of our graduates, I'm just thinking of has a a peer to peer um, a place that people can go and bring their families. And she's got this partnership with Sesame Street now, too, because she heard it at our conference. So we're seeing the, um, the reach of this as being something that can help, well, ultimately, hundreds of thousands of children.
0: Yeah. I was watching the little video the other day of you and Elmo on the stage when you, when you <laughs> announced here. Um, so um, I want you to remind everybody of the website and where they can go see that incredibly cute video of you and Elmo on stage. <laughs>
1: Well, you can go to allrise.org. Um, that's the, you know, NADCP general website. And and from there you can go to Justice for Vets, but you can also go directly to justiceforvets.org. And then you can also go to um you you can access Advancing Justice Initiative, AJ Initiative through the allrise.org
0: website too. Really, I am so moved by the 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 name all rise. Can you talk to that? Because I just think that's the most exquisite name. Tell yeah, us. I love that too. Um, all rise is a you know is is if
1: you go to any courtroom, <laughs> um, and when the judge enters the courtroom, you say all rise, and everyone stands in the courtroom. And in a treatment court, all rise takes on I think a deeper and broader meaning. And when someone dealing with a substance use disorder or mental health condition has come into contact with the justice system and gets the support, the structure, the treatment that they need, and they rise out of addiction. Mm -hmm. And they come back to our communities as contributing members and they get their lives back. Not only did they rise, but we all rise.
0: That is so beautiful. Melissa, that is, that is such a testament to you, bringing heart into the justice system. I love how you said it. Oh my gosh, you do. And I just want to acknowledge you. And I want everybody to also follow, um, follow Melissa um, on, on social media. So tell them about your social media, because we need to keep an eye on you. (laughs) Well, Um, my, my,
1: Twitter handle is my, one of my nicknames and it's, (laughs) (laughs) I love it. At Maffy Fitz, (laughs) M-A-F-F-Y-F-I-T-Z, at Maffy Fitz. And you can also reach me through our website. Um, And I'm on, I think
0: I'm on Instagram the same way too, at Maffy Fitz. We're keeping our eyes on you because you are changing the world currently. And, and this is, it's such a great Testament. Also, you don't have to run for office to be, Um, making an enormous difference in our country and in the world. You don't have to run for office. um, I think there are a lot of different ways
1: to be of service. And I think that we should, each and every one of us, find out our best way to be of service because there are a lot of needs in our country, but I truly believe that we have everything we need. We just, each of us has to care enough to give it and to do it and to make it happen. There was one more thing I wanted to say about, um, just because it really struck me traveling across the country and visiting these courts, attending graduations, which is another thing that you can do. You can, you can go visit a treatment court and um, there's really nothing, there's no other place like it from, from my perspective because you're in a courtroom like every other courtroom and there's strict accountability There will be, people will be sanctioned if they they don't do what they need to do. They will have, you know, frequent and random drug and alcohol testing. They will be required to adhere to a strict treatment court program. But these courtrooms are also places of hope. Mm. They're places of healing. And they're places where the people who are participating in these programs, who are in the justice system are treated with respect, and dignity they are called by their names not by a number hmm. and i truly believe that they are seen as their best selves hmm. and that nobody is beyond hope and everybody is capable of recovery and coming back home and contributing to their families and their communities and their country And I can't tell you how many times I've seen this to be true and experienced it by meeting the men and women who have gone through these programs and who are now playing vital roles in their communities. Like, I think I'd mentioned this to you the other day about, like, judges, including my dad, but so many judges and men and women who work in the courts have said, this is the highlight of my career in criminal justice because oh. people are getting better. And, and one judge said to me, you know, when people used to come back to my courtroom repeatedly, because he said it was because they were rearrested. arrested So hmm. now when they come back to my treatment court, it's to invite me to their graduation. Oh my God. Or <laughs> tell me they got a promotion or introduce me to their children. And I think that that
0: is to me justice. I have friends that are struggling with addiction, and they are not in the court system and you know, obviously, I would never wish on anyone to be arrested, but there's something extraordinary about the level of community that comes together to make these drug courts successful when you listed all the many people that are present at these hearings. And they, f- I, I can't imagine that they don't feel like, even if they don't have an extraordinary relationship with each and every one of these people, the fact that they have this huge net that is there for them that is saying, I'm here to hold your heart. I'm here to hold your heart. I'm here to hold your heart. It's just so moving. I wish that for everyone. Extraordinary. I do too. And can
1: you imagine if we had the ability to offer these programs. And, and I think that is absolutely within our reach. And I'm committed to that, that that one of these programs is available and funded so that every person who needs one has access to one. Imagine how that would not only transform our justice system, it would transform our nation.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Bravo. Thing, it yes. is now we are in the middle of an addiction crisis in our country. Yep. yep. And you and I have talked about that offline before, that, you know, the, the Centers for Disease, Control, Center for Disease Control, the CDC just released a report the other week that um, in 2017, 72,000 72, people died of an overdose. And that's up 10% from the year before. And we are showing no signs of that shifting. Um, 72,000. Americans died last year of an overdose. And in the time that you and I have been talking, that's eight people have died mm-hmm. of an overdose. Yeah. And I think that right now it is critical that we come together and make a commitment that we are gonna double down on the things that have been proven to work to combat this. And, and things like treatment courts,
0: Yeah, I love that. Double down on what works and it's proven to work. You you have extraordinary stats. They can read more about those stats on your website too. Absolutely. Um, It works. It's been working for a long time. We just didn't know about it. And thank you, Melissa, for being on this podcast to spread the word. Um, Hopefully we can get this podcast heard by many, 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 many people and all the right people that need to hear it. There may be somebody that doesn't have a drug court in their community, and it's just all about asking for for that to happen in their community. Um, I have a friend that was incarcerated in a small town in Georgia, and most of the they have a huge addiction pro- problem in that town, and there isn't a drug court there yet. And I'm going to get to working on that.
1: Um, they do because Georgia is very committed to their treatment courts. And, and if you want, I can give you a bunch of information about Georgia too, because they've done a remarkable job in the past few years.
0: It's and again, Georgia. We don't think of we don't think of justice in Georgia. <laughs> but I, okay, so,
1: now you've gotten me. I'm go for it, Georgia. It. Yeah. Okay. Go <laughs> ahead. Yeah. About Georgia. No, I love um, it. From 1990 to 2011, Georgia's prison population doubled to over 56,000 with um, the state spending over a billion dollars a year. Um, And this did not correlate to fewer crimes or safer communities. Despite having the fourth largest incarceration rate in the country, their recidivism rate remained high. And so in 2011, projections forecasted more prison growth and additional, like, over 260 million dollars in taxpayer costs, which is not nothing, <laughs> yeah. and you know it looked pretty. The future looked pretty bleak, um, but that never happened because instead Georgia began investing in evidence-based justice system reform, and you know policy changes, and that that focused on ensuring prison beds were reserved for violent career criminals. Georgia expanded their drug treatment courts and alternative sentencing, and they focused their energy and resources, financial and otherwise, in addressing that among some system reform. So their approach worked. Um, mm-hmm. Since 2011, the overall prison population in Georgia has declined and, and by the way, while the percentage of violent offenders in prison has increased, which is good, because what that means is the percentage. So that means that law enforcement... The right
0: people are in the jail. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and no, I'm
1: sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt No, you. no,
0: you're right. That's, That's
1: just- well put. The number of African-Americans committed to prison is now at the lowest level since 1988. Yes. Youth youth confinement has fallen 36%, and the state has closed two juvenile detention centers. Obviously, one of the big reasons for this success is the expansion of of treatment courts to every judicial circuit. Um, So this is...
0: Every judicial circuit. Seriously. Oh, my God.
1: And so, you know, over half of the U.S. prison population, which is, you know, over half, it's 1.5 million, have a substance use disorder. Another like over 450,000, I think it's 458,000, have a significant history with substance abuse. And over 400,000 people with a mental health disorder, all currently locked behind bars. And without treatment, they are coming back into society. And they are our most vulnerable, and they are returning to our communities where they often continue the cycle of addiction, mental illness, arrest. Treatment courts are an intervention point so that when they get the treatment that they need, the accountability and structure that they need to return back to our communities as productive, healthy citizens. Michigan, they've expanded to reach 97% of the population that needs them, and a new report from the Michigan Judiciary, and the Michigan Judiciary has made an enormous commitment to to, um, treatment courts. They show that drug treatment court graduates are far less likely to commit a new crime than similar offenders who did not Participate in a drug court program and treating the addiction that drives the criminal behavior has many additional benefits. And this one I love because in 2017, in Michigan, drug treatment court graduates saw a 100% reduction in unemployment. <gasps> so That's- I think there are a lot of different ways to define justice,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I think fairness and allowing people the things that they need, the tools that they need to be successful and all people, I think, is um, all right. something that we should really strive for, okay. we are striving for, and we need to ensure that our justice system is truly just for all people.
0: Beautiful. Thank you, Melissa. Maffie Fitz. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for giving me chills a m- million times with the magic. Thank you for spreading the magic of NADCP. Um, thank you for Sharing all this love and for showing us this bright light in the justice system and giving us, it's given me renewed hope, and I hope it's given renewed hope to all of our listeners.
1: Well, thank you, Bridget. And thank you so much for giving a platform to this issue and for the work that we're doing and I want to just give a shout out to all the people that I've had the opportunity to work with over the past five years Uh, the inspiring committed passionate men and women all across the country who are working on behalf of these treatment courts they are remarkable people and they inspire me every single
0: day I thank them too thank you thank you thank (laughs) you we all thank you hopefully you're feeling little love taps over the next several months as people listen to this. And thank you, Melissa. Thank, thank you, you NADCP. Thank, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank <laughs> you. Thanks for joining us, everybody, for this really important conversation, bringing beautiful hearts into the justice system. How inspiring is that? Um, If you are even more inspired, go over to iTunes and give us a review. That will bring more Superheroes of Love into the fold. And you can now pre-order on Amazon the book Superhero of Love. Go check it out. Pre-order it today. Oh, my God, how fun is that? Thanks for coming, everybody. Have a great day.